All right, y'all, we have much to talk about today. The Panthers are making big moves. Charlotte FC got their first win. The Hornets are rolling, and everything is looking up in Charlotte. So let's start with the Panthers, since they've gotten in the news the most recently with the Deshaun Watson saga and the free agency signings and all the drama that comes along with it. So with uh, Deshaun Watson, we all know he went to the Browns, $230 million, the first year of his contract starting at $1 million, and then we got $229 million for the next four years. So they strategically created that to make sure that if he was suspended, that he would not lose money. So I think that that in itself kind of shows that they think that a suspension is coming. How long that will be, who knows? He already sat out one year and he was presumed innocent, I suppose, if that's how you look at the criminal system. They did not have enough evidence to bring on a conviction or an indictment. Now, that is to not say that he is innocent. That is just to say that they did not have enough evidence to bring on a conviction. So that is pretty much where that ends criminally. We have 22 civil cases making an appearance, so we'll see how that goes. But ultimately, I think the Panthers dodged a bullet with that one. From the character issues or possible character issues to the just the amount of assets that it would have taken and the amount of money, everyone thought that we would have to give up three first-round picks, uh, J.C. Horn possibly, or... Jeremy Chin and Brian Burns or Derek Brown. So people were pretty much ready to mortgage the entire future for this quarterback. And while I think that there is much to be said about having a great quarterback, and I think that you do need a great quarterback to win the Super Bowl, I think out of the last 22 years, so basically since the year 2000, like 18 of those 22 teams had a Hall of Fame quarterback, and two of those teams that did not have a Hall of Fame quarterback had an all-time great defense in the 2000, was it 2000 Ravens and 2002 Bucks, or is that flipped? Either or. So either way, the Panthers do not have that south of a defense. Our defense looks good, but it is not anywhere near 02 Bucks or 2000 Ravens level, but still, or maybe it was eh, something like that. Flip those maybe. I'm still not sure, but I'm not going to go look. And Anyway, so what it turned out being was three first-round picks and a third-round pick, I believe. And then they swapped fifth-rounders, so it was basically three first-round picks and a third-rounder. And people were making the argument that the 49ers pretty much gave that exact compensation up to get Trey Lance, but really they only gave up two first-round picks and they swapped first-rounders, so... I mean, however you want to look at that, but I kind of don't equate those exactly. And they also got Trey Lance on a rookie contract and got him um, very cheap. And they still don't know if he's an answer yet, but still, I don't think it's as comparable as people might might say. But anyway, Deshaun to the Browns. So not only did the Panthers dodge a bullet with possible suspension or if anything does come out with his character issues, if anything does come from that, they don't have anything to worry about. They also have all their picks left, or at least the ones that Scott Fitterer didn't trade away. And man, you got to think, if the Panthers did not trade for Sam Darnold, we would be sitting pretty well off right now. We would still have our second, our fourth, our sixth. We would still have probably our third. I don't think we, I mean, we might make the move for CJ Henderson still. I don't know, but it's looking pretty good here. So I am not really that upset. 
And not only did we not get him, he didn't go in the NFC South, so we don't have to face him two times a year. Although I wasn't that scared of that either, because we used to face Michael Vick all the time, and we used to come out on top quite a bit. I don't know our exact record against Michael Vick when he played for the Falcons, but I do remember us beating them very regularly. Or maybe I'm just making that up, but it seems like we weren't that worried about Michael Vick, at least not as worried as we were about Deshaun Watson going to the Falcons. So, And I think that at the end of the day, this kind of gives us a lesson in who has insider information and who doesn't. And the answer is most people do not have insider information. They just pretend to. Or they just regurgitate what everyone else is saying. And people, this is not a shock, but people would rather be first than be accurate. And I think that accuracy is so much more important than being first. Because who freaking cares who is first? I mean, everyone wants the clicks. Everyone wants the retweets. But at the end of the day, what does it matter if you get that out there? I mean, they're even sending out partial deals at this point. They're not even making sure that all the details are correct. They're just saying, oh, three first round picks. And then like, oh, updated compensation. It's actually... Three first-round picks and a third-round pick. Oh, actually, it's a three, a third, and a fifth swap. It's the same thing with Russell Wilson. There was players involved in that trade that you didn't even know about until well after people had already tweeted out the details. And I don't understand why they continually give access to all those details to the quote-unquote insiders like Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter. Like, why not cut out the middleman and just announce those things yourself, especially on your own accounts? Like, why wouldn't Russell Wilson announce that on his own account and get a ton of retweets and likes and follows and favorites? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm breathing very heavily. I apologize for that. I'm not <laughs> I'm not uh, paid enough to be able to get any shields between me and the microphone, so I'm sorry. But anyway, so no Deshaun Watson, but we get to keep our picks and what we use those on, I do not know. But since Deshaun Watson's trade has fell through, Oh, and the thing that made the trade fall through is that we did not want to give him a third and fourth year guaranteed, which I that whole thing kind of confuses me. Um, that makes me think maybe we were playing a little bit of chess there, trying to just drive up his price because we didn't think he actually wanted us. I don't know, because we were trying to court him a long time ago. And so I don't really see that being what happened, but... It's also hard to keep up with everything that NFL teams are doing. I wouldn't put anything past them, especially with like what happened with someone like Josh Allen, where they dropped something on draft night to make his stock fall of him saying the N-word in college, I think, or high school, something like that. And then they did the same thing with Laramie Tunzel, where they caught him smoking weed with a gas mask, and then his stock dropped. I mean, I don't think anyone is really doing it to be honorable or moral because we know that most of the NFL business is not. It's just a business, and I think that they're hoping that the public backlash will be enough to where that player will fall for them and they'll be able to get them at a more affordable price, especially with the rookie wage scale and how everything is built in. It doesn't matter um, anymore like what they want um, or their signing bonus. It's all kind of already built in stone. It's like, why do they even have agents at this point? I mean, I know there's some negotiation and language like with Joey Bosa had with the Chargers when he got drafted and a whole big deal was made about it and he re-signed with them anyway and he is still with them so I really don't think it matters that much and it ended up that specific contract negotiation ended up being like a moot point because it didn't even matter because he was he turned out to be very good and I'm like especially with the Chargers kind of expect that but (laughs) whatever anyway 
So the Panthers made a lot of moves once they moved on from Deshaun Watson. They signed Bradley Bozeman. He is a center, and he played a left guard as well, but I think he's going to stay a center. He started 48 games the last three seasons. If you can do math, that is pretty much every single game. 16 times 3 is 48. I think that means he missed like one game last year or something. So he started at left guard 2019-2020, or center and left guard at 2019-2020 and 2021. We signed him for a year. I don't know what the terms of that contract are. I haven't seen them anywhere yet, but either way. It is a great deal for the Panthers because they get a center, which is obviously very important. And then they signed Austin Corbett, three years, $29 million. He started every game for the Rams. They probably would have re-signed, them, re-signed him if they wouldn't have been paying other members of that line. That is the Super Bowl tax. You win a Super Bowl, you have to pay people. So, But the best time to go to a Super Bowl is on a quarterback's rookie contract, in my opinion. But um, So... He's very young, too. I think he's only 26, 25. So he has been in the league for a bit, but I think he's just coming off his rookie contract. I think this is the second contract he's had. Either way, Austin Corbett looks great. He's also another guard, and I think that he will fit in just fine, and it's already an upgrade over what they had. It's far more than what they paid for their free agents when they jumped again last year on Cam Irving and Pat Elfline, but also they shouldn't have done that signing in the first place. A signing is worth it if it's worth it. If you're paying $29 million for a guy and he blocks like a $29 million or $10 million a year guy, then it's worth it. You know, if you pay pennies for somebody and they block like crap, no, it's not worth it. If they do great, then yes. But chances are you're not going to outsmart the rest of the NFL. There's a reason that nobody wanted them. There's a reason that they're getting paid so little. And the issue last year wasn't necessarily that Scott Fitterer signed Elfline or Irving is that he did it with the first first second of free agency signings where he was like, yep, got to get these guys. I don't want anyone else to snatch them up. Like, why is that your priority? Why is that the first thing that you want to do whenever you have the chance to sign a free agent, to sign very cheap linemen who block like very cheap linemen? Elfline might be a great backup for us, but... That's really all he is for us, is to add depth, because Corbett is going to be starting, obviously. Bozeman, probably going to be starting, I would imagine, unless something crazy happens, injuries and whatnot, but yeah, and then we made DJ Moore, top five paid wide receiver in the league, really in the same realm as the top ten, there's a bunch of guys who were like right at 20 million, so quite a few guys who are getting paid in the wide receiver, I mean... DJ Moore is one of two guys who's had 1,200 yards, I think, either the past three seasons or in his first three seasons. He's got, like, Torrey Holt-type numbers. I think the other guy is, um, why do I always forget names when I'm on this dang podcast? Uh, Diggs, Stephon Diggs from formerly Minnesota, but now the Bills. I mean, look at his quarterbacks. He's had Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen. Uh, But I think that... That is much better than, let's see, who was the Allen he had? Kyle Allen was for DJ Moore. He threw balls at him. I think he caught balls from Will Greer. He caught balls from Sam Darnold. He caught balls from Cam, from PJ. I mean, it's been a rotating door at quarterback for him. 
and yet he still has managed to get 1,200 yards and probably close to 10 touchdowns. Maybe that's a bit much. Maybe not 10 touchdowns, but the dude gets his catches. He gets his yard. I mean, there were times last year, I think that there is some DJ Moore slander just because he was kind of booking it in on some routes, like the one that got Robbie Anderson almost knocked out. I think there were times in which DJ Moore was frustrated and it showed. I can't completely blame him. You have to give your 100% on every play, but ultimately the dumpster fire that was last season, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, obviously, I've never been in the NFL, but... When I used to play back in high school, I tried to give it my all, but there are times in which you're on the field and you're wondering why you are even doing it. Like, what's the point? Especially for someone in a contract year like that. Like, he probably didn't want to risk injury. He probably didn't want to kind of um, put himself at risk. So I think that it was very important for him to get paid. And now I think he's going to be back to normal. The question is, now that we've locked DJ Moore up, are we going to draft another wide receiver whenever it comes time? Because we pick again, like I think it's like a one thirty or something after all the compensation picks got slotted in. So it could be we draft another wide receiver to give him some help. Cause I don't see Robbie staying past this year. They did rearrange his contract to free up some cap space. I don't think that means much in terms of getting rid of him. I don't think there's many people who want Robbie after last year. He kind of totally fell off the map. And now he's saying shady things on Twitter, like wanting to get Deshaun Watson and kind of saying, um, I don't remember exactly what else he was saying, but basically he wants Sam Darnold to be gone, which is ironic because I think that everyone was talking up their connection before he ever got to the Panthers. And now he is one of Sam Darnold's biggest critics. In his own Robbie Anderson way. I mean, I can't understand really what he tweets or says half the time. So who knows what's going on there. But it's really hard to tell with Robbie because I don't understand his language. It's like Cam's, um, the whole like way that he types. I think he's trademarked at this point. It's almost like hieroglyphics. And then Dante Jackson got re-signed for three years, $35 million. And I think that a lot of people were upset about this. I think a lot of people had issue with this because he did have his issues last year getting beat a lot, especially for deep balls, touchdowns. It seemed like every time that Dante got beat, it was a touchdown. Like the dude never gets beat on like five yard outs or curls or something where it's just like, Oh, the dude got beat. Okay. Well, seven yard gain, big deal. It was like when he got beat, he got burned and they scored touchdowns and, he looked bad. And then the last time he got beat, he went out with a groin injury. And I think he ended up having surgery for that. So I don't think he's, like, faking it or anything. But if the dude can't stay healthy, I mean, the thing about cornerback is you have to be uber athletic. And you have to be able to stop on a dime. You have to have massive, massive amounts of agility. And I think that if he's playing injured, especially with something like a groin, where you have to stop on a dime and turn direction, change direction, just like that, then... I think it's going to be very difficult for him to compete with the wide receivers that are in the NFC South or anywhere in the NFL for that matter. So if he cannot stay healthy, then we are screwed. J.C. Horn is back too, but if he can't stay healthy, then we're really screwed because Stephon Gilmore looks like he's about to walk. Looks like they chose Dante over him. It kind of looked like an either-or type of situation, as Joe Person reported on. So never a neither-nor situation like Joe said, but... Always an either or, but $35 million is quite a pretty penny to pay a guy who 
has been getting who has gotten major injuries twice and did not look completely himself last season either. So we really don't know when exactly maybe he got hurt last season. It could have really been at any point, but it's a little bit troublesome that he could be injured and we would not even know it. And then his play declines and we don't know whether he's hurt, he's just trying to be tough, or he just sucks. So that's going to be quite the interesting storyline to follow is if he was worth it because in the Scott Fitter and Matt Rule era, three years is a long time for a cornerback who I don't think has quite proven themselves. I think he is second in his draft class in a lot of categories or first. Um, that doesn't really mean anything to me. I mean, I don't care how the rest of your draft class is doing. It's like, oh, you got the second highest grade in the class. You had a 47. Like, who cares? Your grade still sucks. So we'll see. Dante has been... I'm There's Dante haters. There's Dante defenders. I'm kind of on the fence with Dante. I'm... No, I do not feel strongly one way or the other, but it'll be exciting for the Panthers because they basically get two first-round picks this year. I, I know that might sound like a little confusing, but J.C. Horn only played. He got hurt during the Texans game, which was their third game of the season, and he broke those bones in his foot. He's been filming on Insta lately. He looks good. He looks dominant. He is a physical specimen, period. Um, so, But he only played two and a half games last season. So it's basically like he had the year off. So they basically have two first-round picks, and they used one on J.C. Horn. Now they get a second one if they want it. Or they might trade back. With the additions that they did to their offensive line, it looks like possibly they'll draft a quarterback, maybe Malik Willis at six. If they do draft a quarterback, I think it kind of has to be Malik, but... I don't feel strongly about any of the quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, Malik is probably the one I feel the best about, but he's also the one that is the riskiest. He's kind of got that Baker Mayfield feel to it where you're like, oh, man, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be a bust, but you don't put your franchise on it on it because the only Power 5 teams that he played last year, he got dominated a little bit, um, but that's also maybe because he was surrounded by football players who were recruited by Liberty, not to say any disrespect to them, but you don't go to Liberty if you're able to go to somewhere else most of the time for football. So I'm not even sure if Liberty is technically D1. Uh, they might have recently made the move in the last like five years. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't really keep up with Liberty that much, but um, they haven't been a D1 program for a really long time. Um, I remember playing them when I was at App State and they were FCS, I believe. They beat us because we were terrible that year. I think that was my sophomore year, junior year. So, yeah, that was embarrassing. Or they they had recently moved up, something like that. But all that to say, I don't completely discount Malik Willis because of those Power 5 games because he was not surrounded by Power 5 teammates. But he also did not look great, quick to exit the pocket, looked a little shaky, relying on his feet, which is not going to get him very far in the NFL if he can't throw the ball. I mean, sure, you can make the argument for Lamar Jackson type of role. I'm not sure if he's as fast as Lamar. I'd have to see the 40 times or Michael Vick. Um, I don't know how fast he is, but I'd, I'd just have to see it. And then you have Kenny Pickett, who I'm not a believer in at all, but we'll, we'll see. And then you have the dude from Ole Miss. You have a couple other guys who are all pretty much it's all pretty much up in the air. Maybe you'll get one of those classes where you have like Kirk Cousins or um, 
Um, dude from Mississippi State plays with the Cowboys now. Why do I always forget names when I'm on this dang podcast? That's just annoying. Uh, but either way, so I you can pick them late in the draft. There's plenty of quarterbacks who have been picked after the first round who have been successful. So the NFL and the scouts kind of have an overconfidence in themselves because they miss a lot more than they like to admit, which is why I believe in trading back to give yourself more chances because it's a lot more of a crapshoot than they kind of would like to admit. I mean, if you just look at rosters and how many people are starting from each round, it's pretty astounding how many undrafted free agents were starters on NFL teams. It's a bunch. And I realize that there's a bigger sample size because only 256-ish dudes get drafted each year. But it's still pretty amazing to see how many undrafted free agents are on teams in the NFL. So if there's a person out there who doesn't get drafted, there's a good chance that there is an Antonio Gates-like player on those teams. Um, and for every one of those, there is a Cam, there is a Josh Allen, there is a Kyler Murray type player who is a no-doubter, great at their position, Andrew Luck type of person. But are there many of those dudes in this draft right now? I don't think so. I mean, this is the first draft I can remember in a long time where there's not a consensus number one overall pick. Aiden Hutchison is as close as it's going to get to that, but... I don't know, man. I just think that the Lions are a lot needier than just that. But who knows? And then Davis Mills is still with the Texans. They're going with him. I don't really know what's going on there. I mean, I think that they just don't want to have... They don't want to admit that they have quarterback issues, and they just don't want to be one of the teams that's looking for a quarterback. So they're just settling on Davis Mills and saying they believe in him just because they don't want to deal with the headache of not having a quarterback like the Panthers are dealing with. So I don't totally buy that they think that they have a completely clean slate with Davis Mills and their draft picks. And also, with them acquiring draft picks, I don't know how useful that is because they have been so poor at drafting. I mean, you can credit that to Bill O'Brien, but I mean, they they haven't looked great before that. They had Deshaun, they had um, DeAndre Hopkins, but I mean... They were never, like, a threat to win the Super Bowl. Like, I don't think anyone ever really thought that they would. Sure, they were up, I think it was 24 against the Chiefs, but even watching that game in the playoffs, it was like you knew that they were going to give it up. It was just that feeling you had, especially playing against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. You kind of knew that they were going to come back at some point. You just didn't expect it to happen so quickly. But um, all that being said, they also got... Um, they could draft more linemen this first pick, number six, or they could draft uh, a quarterback. Uh, I think that's really the only two positions at this point now that they got Xavier Woods. Or they got Xavier Woods for three years. I am not totally sure about the compensation on that. Um, so, But he's a safety. He started every game last season. I think he started every played every snap, but like one, or maybe he played every single snap. But, oh, 16 million. Three years, 16 million. So, he played every single snap. That is refreshing to see with how many injuries the Panthers had last season. Um, So, that would be nice to keep him in there. I know that people wanted Tyra Matthew, Honey Badger, but so Jeremy Chin could get back in the box and play his natural position of linebacker. I agree with you. I'm there on that. But I don't think that they're going to draft a safety unless 
unless they trade back and maybe get like a first and second rounder for someone to trade up or maybe a first and third and then the third round they draft a safety I don't know I'd have to I wanted to do this but I just wanted to look at like the Super Bowl teams from the past like five years and see what their line makeup is to see if it's people they drafted or people they picked up in free agency or trades or anything like that so I'd be very interested to see how many linemen start those Super Bowls on the teams that drafted them originally I don't my guess is that it's not many. That's a pretty. That's just a straight up guess, but it is something that I think is worth looking into because a lot of people are saying just trade for picks and then draft all offensive linemen, and I just don't think that it's that simple. I think the approach the Panthers are taking with um, picking up free agents in uh, linemen and then um, looking. I think now they're looking at a left tackle. Um, they're looking at. The dude from New Orleans, they're looking at the guy from the Chiefs, Fisher, I think Eric Fisher. They're looking at, I think he's a former number one pick, if I remember correctly, in the worst draft ever, right above Jokel, or Jockel from Texas A&M. I look back at that draft often just to laugh. But um, in the end, they could also get the dude from, um, is it the Ravens? Dwayne Brown, is that his name? Um, So... There's all kinds of options still in free agency if the Panthers have any money left. It's hard to tell because they haven't given out all the details of all the people that they've signed quite yet as of right now. So that'll be very interesting. But Xavier Woods is a nice pickup for them at safety. So I don't think they're going to go defense in the draft, at least the first round. If they do, they will be strongly, strongly hated on. I know some people had had taken Sauce Gardner, but with the re-sign of Dante Jackson, the health status of... J.C. Horn, and then the pickup of Xavier Woods. I really don't think they're going defense. I think you can kind of show that out. Um, And then they also picked up Ioannidis for a year. Dirty, dirty nose tackle. And I mean dirty, just kind of like blue collar. Like the dude is vicious. So I think he's going to be a great pickup for us. Um, He's also a great Madden player. So I love that. And then they also picked up Johnny Hecker as well. So... Um, this this whole thing, Johnny Hecker is nice. He signed for three years, but he's also been on the decline. His punt average dropped down to like 44 yards from 46. So that's something to watch. He's getting like $7 million. So, But I'm after their punting was from last season, I think it's good to just get somebody who is consistent, who can just boom the ball. Hopefully he stays that way. We know how Panthers signings go, but Zane Gonzalez and him together, I think that I feel the best about the special teams that I have for the Panthers in a long time. And all these moves, what I was going to say, is all these moves kind of surmise that this is no longer Matt Rule's team. As far as personnel goes, I think that they went for a bruising nose tackle so they can finally stop the run and stop being so small. And again, I know a lot of people are going to knock that because of stats, but if you watched the games last year, they had a lot of trouble stopping the run, especially toward the end of games. That's partly the offense's fault. You're right, because they were on the field forever. They're bound to give up the run at some point, but they are very small, and as the season went on, they gave up more and more in the run. Attrition, it happens in the NFL season. I don't blame them, but it's nice to have Ioannidis, who can stop the dang run, because he's a big, beefy, vicious, mean, what they call a hog molly, I think. So that could be a great pickup for them. Underrated. And then they got a punishing center that plays basically one position. Punishing guard that basically plays one position. It's it's basically like 
that Scott Fitterer is able to pick and draft and choose his own team. It doesn't feel like Matt Rule has as much power as he did, which is, I mean, obviously, I don't have any insider information. Nobody's talking to me. I'm just some idiot with a podcast with 10 followers on Twitter, as people love to remind me. So I have no idea. But that's just what it feels like to me. It's not all these, like, super athletic, linky, soft dudes from Temple. Not to say that all the dudes from Temple are soft, but you know what I'm saying. It just felt like a good old boys network. And Hassan Reddick went packing, which I don't think would have happened. I wish we could have kept him, but, you know, you can only keep so much. If we would have kept Hassan Reddick, I don't think we would have made those line <laughs> pickups, which I think were very important for us and more important than having someone who can rush the quarterback right now because we got to stop other people from rushing our quarterback. But these pickups will help our defense as well. All these offensive signs are defensive signs. I say this a lot, but the more help we get on offense, the better it will help our defense. And then we also um, had all those pickups. And um, yeah, so if I had to make a prediction for the draft right now, I would say they really only have three options. It is lineman, it is quarterback, or it is trade back. That's really the only three options. And I think in order of most likely to least likely, I would say quarterback, trade back, Linemen in that order because they seem really interested in picking up another lineman at this point. I don't know if they actually will, but also they don't seem too keen on drafting linemen that early in the draft. I haven't seen them do it yet. They've gone defense both times, but we'll see. So let's also talk about Charlotte FC. They got their first win of the season. Bender looked great. Um, well, I can never pronounce his name. The dude who scored the goal, um, scored, I think he scored two goals for them. One of them off Bender's assist. It was just nice to see them actually compete and actually just wipe the floor with the team. It was 3-1 and the one goal was a penalty kick. That was answered like literally four minutes later, five minutes later. So it's not like it stayed on the board that long, but it was still frustrating because it was a stupid penalty. It was a penalty, I think. Um, the dude had gotten rid of the ball, and the goalie just tackled him way too late. Um, again, I don't know that much about soccer, but it's it was a frustrating penalty because the goalie was uh, just a bit late. And that dude, that I don't remember his name, but he was taking dives all night. He got a penalty earlier or later in that game, too, just outside the box, and he sailed it. But it was really frustrating to see him because he was diving all over the place. Um, but all that to say, it was cool to get see them get their first win, three one over um, New England. It's good to see a Charlotte team beat New England in something. That's always refreshing. And then it was also cool to um, see Bender. He had kind of a breakout game. Uh, he also assisted, I think, on their first goal of the season too against uh, Atlanta United. So. In their four games, Bender has gotten progressively better and his role has progressively increased. And I think that in due time, he will be playing a lot. He'll be starting a lot and he will be contributing a lot. Um, I mean, in that one game alone, he basically got, in hockey, was equivalent of two points. He got an assist and he got a goal. And his goal was just a freaking rocket. I mean, he caught it and got it at midfield and turned around and just launched that thing in the in the back corner of the net. So 
it was pretty cool to see. I'm pretty excited about the direction that they're going, and there wasn't as many fans, which was kind of disappointing, and it wasn't quite as electric of an atmosphere, but it was still really cool to see. I need to get out to a game, because I haven't been able to do that yet, but Ben Bender is really exciting to me, and I think that even though we've only played four games, it's still cool to get a win, especially against somebody who is not an expansion team. I don't know how long New England has been in the league, but it's really exciting to see us beat anyone at this point because we have only been in the league for four games. And New England, I tweeted at Charlotte FC. I couldn't believe it was their real account. They said something about, like, act like you've been... We would tell you to act like you've been there before, but we remember that you haven't. It's like, honestly, that's more embarrassing for you that you were their first victim, that you were the first one who lost them. So I don't really see how that is a clap back. Uh, but, you know, it's it's whatever. I mean, it's it's all for clicks. So it's kind of a mute point. And um, it's, yeah, it's we have a lot to see what direction it's going to go with this team. I think they have a lot of potential, but, you know, we'll see. I just am curious about how long it takes people to not be patient with this team. Like, how many years? This is the first time I've ever been a fan of an expansion team because when I became a fan of the Panthers, they had already been around for a while, and the Hornets the same way. But with Charlotte FC, this is the first time I'm supporting an expansion team, so I don't know, like, especially with MLS, like, how long does it normally take before a team is competitive and, like, you start having expectations for them, like... I know that Atlanta United, they won the MLS Cup in their first year, which is nuts. And I know, like, Vegas and hockey, they went to the Stanley Cup their first year. So, And the Panthers went to the NFC Championship, I think, the year that Green Bay won the Super Bowl with Brett Favre. So um, expansion teams can have a lot of success. I just don't know how much success this team will have because they've looked pretty rough. I mean, even in this game against New England, while they did kind of kick their ass, uh, I think that there was a lot of opportunities that they gave away too that New England just didn't capitalize on. And I understand that good teams capitalize on those opportunities. So that's totally fair point. But there were definitely some big (laughs) missed opportunities that our goalie either bailed out our team or they just straight up missed them. Like there was one, I can't remember what the score was, but it was a little bit later in the game. And the dude um, put a header right on goal. And it was like from four feet away, like a rocket. Got to be like 30 miles an hour. And he was able to save it. And it was just a very, very clutch save. So I don't know if the game was necessarily not closer than 3-1. to Because 3-1 to seems kind of far apart considering it's soccer. And we haven't scored three game, three goals ever. But... You know, I think it was a little bit closer than 3-1, to one, but it was also just just a fun game overall. And then speaking of fun games, the Hornets also got a win, and I think that they have now won four in a row. Since the All-Star break, they have just looked a lot better. I think the All-Star break really came at the perfect time, and they're back above 500 for the first time in a few weeks. And LaMelo Ball looks better. Miles Bridges looks better. P.J. Washington looks a heck of a lot better. Terry, when he's making shots, he is so good for this team. And um, I think that it is just a very, 
very different team when they are hitting shots and they're playing a little bit of defense. They beat the Mavericks by 20. It was like 138 to 118 or something like that. So I think that this is a much different team when they can hit shots. And they're finally back to 36-35, so they have 11 games left. I think that I my bold prediction for the season was that the Hornets would win 50 games. But they had a very bad lull that I was not expecting. And Gordon Hayward obviously got hurt, but that was, I guess, my fault for not saying that that was going to happen. So I guess the new prediction is 40 wins, maybe, would be a safe prediction. I mean, out of these last 11 games with who they're playing, I could see them going 5-6. and six. I think best case scenario, they go, let's see, 11 games. I think they go 7-4. and four. Worst case scenario, I could see them going 4-7. and seven. I think we get at least four wins here. So I think we get two 40 wins at least, but I could see us end up with like 43 wins, maybe 44. So if they keep going like they're going, they've got four in a row. So it's been a very streaky, streaky year, but it's it's been refreshing to see. And I think that there's a lot of youth on the Hornets, and I think that they are trending in the right direction. They're starting to learn <laughs> defense. Borrego is still not my favorite, but I don't know if I've ever liked any coach, to be honest. So maybe that one's a me thing. Maybe it's not his fault. Uh, But I did want to get into the Hornets quote from Malik Monk. I had it pulled up. Here it is. So Malik Monk said, I didn't put that much effort in in Charlotte. Because I was getting mixed signals from everybody, and I'm like, oh, they really don't want me to be here, so I'm just going to shoot the ball and get 50% on defense, and it don't work like that. You can't get 50% on something and think you're going to get 100% back. So, I mean, that argument kind of falls in on itself. I don't know if he's saying that it doesn't work like that, like he's defending himself and saying that Charlotte did him wrong, or if he's saying that he did Charlotte wrong. And that he can't defend himself. I'm not really totally sure what is meant by that comment. Um, I think it's pretty obvious though that he played like 50% defense and did only the only thing he ever did was shoot. So that does not surprise me at all. But uh, whenever I saw that quote, I assumed it was from Nick Batum (laughs) because that man didn't try at all when he was in Charlotte, especially after he got paid which was from the very beginning. <laughs> so stupidest contract ever. I think this is our last year with it, thank God. But um, Malik Monk pretty much did just shoot and play 50% defense, which at times worked for us. I still will remember his game against the Heat in overtime, finally, of him dropping like 50 points on them and like 10 threes and just going ballistic. So that was the only thing that really won us that game. Not that it mattered in the long run. But it would be very interesting to see where the Hornets end up. I think best case scenario, they end up with the 8th seed. They really do need to get out of that bottom 9-10 matchup. They need to get to the 8th seed. They really do. Because I would hate to end up at the exact same spot we did last year. And then play the exact same way that we did last year and lose it by 30 points. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. I just... I don't know. I don't know. These Hornets, they got me very excited at times, and they got me very worried at times. So it's very interesting 
going to be very interesting to see how it turns out. I really think that LaMelo Ball is the future, and I think that he is going to be at Charlotte for a long time, but I just am very anxious about when that first time that we get over the hump is going to be, because Charlotte hasn't been a true playoff team in, let's see, since 2016, so six years. I'm not counting play-in games. Like, imagine if the playoffs were still the same way that they were pre-pandemic. The Hornets would pretty much not even be sniffing the playoffs. Like, there's a good chance that they don't even get the eighth seed. So for them to have to have the play-in tournament is kind of frustrating. It's not exactly where you want the Hornets to be. I know they're very young, but with the talent that they have on this team, I just expect them to do better. They do have a lot of talent, and they found a lot of guys that work well together. But, you know, there's a difference between being a likable team and being a winning team. And I want to stop being a likable team, and I want to be a winning team. I don't even care if it means that people hate on us. And we end up like Memphis fans, where we were cool at first, but now we're kind of like people don't like us. So I'm kind of, um, I don't know. I just kind of kind of am tired of being the team that everyone enjoys. And like, oh, their announcers are so fun. Oh, their team is so fun. Like, we've gone from miserable to watch to fun to watch. Like, we haven't become a, we haven't gone from bad team to great team or good team even. We've gone from bad team to average team and from miserable to fun to watch. And the games are fun to go to, but... I just am ready for them to take the next step and become a team that people actually consider a contender or at least just a playoff contender. And that also other people start getting mad at or don't like. Like, I'm just tired of being likable at this point. I just want to win. And most of the most likable fan bases are fan bases of teams that (laughs) don't win because it's hard to get mad at another team if they're never beating you. Like something like the Pistons. Like, I would never want to be I like I can never be mad at the Pistons. I don't really care about the Pistons or like the Orlando Magic. I know they still beat us sometimes, but it's like you know that they just suck and they're bad and they just don't have things figured out right now. So they don't worry you at all. But someone like the Lakers, even though they're like an average team, they have a lot of good players, you know, you you hate them. Mostly you hate teams I think because the media coverage too. Like the Lakers always get covered. So you have to not like them. And there's certain players that always get covered, like James Harden or Russell Westbrook, who you're like, honestly, I don't even know if I like you or not. It's just the way that the media covers you that I don't enjoy. So I just wish that the Hornets also got covered like that. So that'll be exciting. And also when I can see them on TV, it will be exciting. I wish that they would get out of this Bally deal too, because it's impossible to watch the Hornets unless you have cable. And not many people, I feel like, have cable anymore. So I don't really know what's going on with that. I think there would be a lot more Charlotte fans and be a lot more popular, especially right now, if they would drop the whole Bally deal. Because I don't think they realize how many people enjoy watching the Hornets that want to watch the Hornets that can't because they don't have cable. Especially millennials or younger kids. It's like they that have moved out of their parents' house or don't stay with their parents that don't have cable, I'm sure that it's a bit frustrating for them because they have to watch illegal streams and watch it on potato quality, but I think it would do the NBA Alive good if they could just um, let them let them watch the games off of Bally. 
because I think Bally is really screwing them over. But all that to say, the Hornets are looking great right now. Charlotte FC is trending in the right direction. The Panthers are making moves. And I'll do a breakdown of all the free agents moves, do some player profiles here in the coming days too to kind of take a deep dive into some of these guys, maybe some 10-minute look-ins. So definitely get a chance to look at that. But yeah, thanks for listening. If you like it, subscribe, like the podcast, check out everything else I've got to offer. But yeah, y'all have a good one. See ya.